All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 21st day of November 2017. I want to remind you I'm the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and that you can subscribe to to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. You can call our office here in New York during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter. Go to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com. Chen has done exceptionally well uh, as an investor for his family and for friends, and he has actually, uh, well, he's done extremely well. We've documented that over the years. Uh, but his areas of expertise, the areas that he's done exceptionally well in biotech, energy and also precious metals and he is largely and basically a fundamental analyst but he just seems to know uh, how to pick up stocks and when to pick them up you know when to buy them and when to sell them timing is everything as they say and uh, well anyway I do want to thank you for listening to this show making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel also want to invite you to continue sending along your questions comments criticisms and praises to questions for taylor at gmail.com questions the number for taylor at gmail. We do also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, RN Resources, Bonterra Resources, New Range Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., and Klondike Gold Corp. I've titled today's show, Will Cryptocurrencies Replace Gold as Money? Alistair McLeod, Robert Carrington, and Michael Oliver are here Uh, as guest in this week's show. Some people think that cryptocurrencies will replace gold as money, but Alistair McLeod, who sits on the board of directors of gold money, provides a very well-informed opinion on that issue. Gold money recently has begun accepting cryptocurrency accounts, and it accepts a, a large number of various cryptocurrencies for the purchase of gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Not only does Alistair believe that cryptocurrencies will not replace gold, but that their very existence may actually destabilize our existing fiat monetary system and thus increase the demand for physical gold ownership. So we want to hear from, uh, we'll want to hear from, uh, from Alistair on, uh, on his reasoning behind that. Assuming gold prevails as the ultimate money, we want to own successful exploration companies because, in fact, they will replace fraudulent entities like the Federal Reserve that create money out of thin air. If the world is to return to some semblance of honest money, it will be the gold mining companies that create money, but not just money as we know it today. They will create honest money, money that has, in fact, has intrinsic value. 
A company with some very exciting prospects for the discovery of Honest Money is New Range Gold Corp. And that company has been reporting some exceptionally high-grade gold samples taken from its project located in Nevada's prolific Walker Lane geological trend. So Robert Carrington will be with me in just a few minutes after a first commercial break to talk about that company's prospects. But now I'm really happy to tell you once again that we're fortunate to have Michael Oliver with us. Thanks, Michael, for Hi, joining good. us again. Good to be back. Yeah, it's always good to have you because somehow you calm my nerves with respect to these gold markets. You know, I'm very sensitive about gold prices. Uh, my business, uh, this show, in fact, and uh, my newsletter, the success of it hinges on a bull market in gold. And we know that uh, gold bull markets over, you know, usually last several years. Uh, I've seen, you know, over the last several cycles anyway, the index, the um, TSX S&P 500 or S&P gold index, international gold index, gains about five-fold during these bull markets, but then it loses 80% in, you know, six months or something like that. So what I want to do, and I'm depending on you, Michael, and I know our listeners are too, to a certain extent, help us know when to get out of gold um, so that we can preserve the gains that we had during the bull market. I think you believe we're still in the early stages of a bull market, right? Right. I think it... uh You've got to go back and just look at some of the other tops and bottoms in gold over uh, history, uh, you know, at least since 75, uh, when it was legalized. Uh, they often take, a, you know, a couple of years to develop. The 2011 yep. top did not really unleash on the downside until spring of 2013. It spent a year and a half uh, up and down, up and down, teasing the bulls, teasing the bears, and then finally just fell apart in April yeah. through June of 2013. And so, you know, it was like a year and a half later, and we, we got bearish in 2012 because annual momentum broke. Well, we didn't get rewarded until the spring of 2013. Mm-hmm. A lot of you know, teasing rallies, not to, to new highs or anything, but just, you know, looking good, but it, it mm-hmm. was all for naught. Well, I think you reversed that process now. I think in February of last year, Gold broke out on our work. Uh, nothing from momentum argues, uh, long-term momentum argues that any of the downswings we've seen, including the big one that occurred late 2016, uh, in any way negates the positiveness of early 2016. And uh, price recently, you know, at, at, what, a month or so ago, got up within 20 bucks of last year's price high, and then they sold into it naturally because, you know, you're near an old high. Once a short-term traders find anything like that, they'll, they'll put a nickel in front of a freight train mm-hmm. <laughs> and try yeah. to exploit it. Uh, now we're in this little coil between 1300 and 1260. We've been caught in it for a number of weeks. And uh, it's funny that last Tuesday at the same time we were talking, uh, we mentioned where gold was. It was at 1280, and that's where we are right now at 1280. <laughs> exact same <laughs> price one week later to the, to the hour. Uh, it's been it's been fifteen dollars above here and ten dollars below here since, but you know it's just yeah. it's coiling into nothingness here. Uh, I, the the sell off from the good close we had a few days ago was like twelve ninety seven close or twelve ninety six end of last week uh, was due to the German event and the attempt to attempt to interpret what does that mean that Merkel mm-hmm. may be destabilized and not be able to put together government and all this. What does it mean to the euro? And there are all kinds of assumptions, well, this will bag the euro. Well, the euro dropped 50 cents. Mm-hmm. It dropped a half a point. And yep. it's, it's halfway between there and where it was before the news event. So it really was a non-event, and gold is taking it that way as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, we put out a weekend report 
uh, this past weekend, and I just wanted to make a point to the my subscribers because they get so disillusioned by the twists and turns of gold without realizing that it's been gaining. And so I put a simple graph chart up, you know, a, a column chart of what's the S&P done since the close of 2015 and what's the gold done since the close of 2015, so nearly two years of action. Um, and uh, gold's a, a few percent, several percent behind the S&P. Yeah. Several percent, you know, not, not yeah. 10%, you know, 3%. And yeah. yet, when you turn on the financial news networks, you'll get nothing but chatter about how the S&P is just glorious. This is the most glorious thing. They've, you know, it's going to go forever. And yet, gold is, is right at its heels, and nobody's mentioning that mm-hmm. in terms of percent I like gain. that. Yeah, and uh, also uh, they're not mentioning the fact that it's interesting that commodity-related uh, stocks and ETFs, not, not futures-related, but related to companies involved in like the ag business, the Moo ETF, which is uh, Monsanto yeah. and, and the fertilizer companies and so forth, uh, is equal or beating the S&P. And that the EEM, the Emerging Market ETF, which is also heavily commodity synchronized, if you go back and look at it in 2011, it peaked with commodities and went down with commodities, vastly underperforming the S&P. And yet over the past year or so, we issued a buy in January, uh, it's gone up twice as much as the S&P. Wow. In fact, you could have, you could have bought the EEM in January's close of this, this year when we issued our buy. And shorted the S&P against it, put on a, uh-huh. what you call a market-neutral spread, long-emerging, short-developed. And you made as much money on the spread as the net longs in the S&P have made. Ah, interesting. Think about that. You market, you're long-emerging, you're short the S&P, and yet the gain on the spread is as much as the S&P longs have made. <laughs> did it in the spread position. And I think the EEM's action is indicating that it thinks the emerging markets are confident that commodity prices, which is heavily linked to them, are, are in the process of turning up, and I think they are. And I think Gold yeah. is saying that as well. Yeah, you, you do a lot of things with spreads in your work, and, and you know one of the most impressive things I, I saw with regard to the S&P and Gold, which you spoke of a moment ago, you pointed out, I think going back to 2000, the dot-com bubble, uh, you you looked at the you know the extremes where gold mm-hmm. was over overpriced and and where stocks were overpriced and vice versa, and you made the note that you know if you had done the right thing if you had gotten out of the run, one and into the other at the right time, it'd be like buying like paying nineteen dollars for a stock that went to one hundred and fifty. I mean it's pretty yeah, remarkable. I mean your your strategies allow people to sort of to do those things, and uh, it's I think you know people really need to realize that. What you're hearing from Michael Oliver on this show is just a tidbit of, of knowledge that he has and, and advice that he has that he makes available for paid subscribers. One of them, he, you just noted, Michael, that you, you are now putting out a shorter-term uh, shorter trading advice for people, too. But uh, for me and my purposes, my, what you were really valuable to me for is to help me keep me from getting whipsawed in and out. You know, I mentioned uh, somebody that I follow had had his people going in and out of the markets just exactly at the wrong time. It, it surely meant to, to do right for them, but it didn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. Meantime, you know, meantime, you said last week uh, the price of gold is the same as it is this week when you and I uh, chatted. So, um you know, there's something to be said for st- the stability that you bring, and those of us who aren't inclined to be traders, I think you do a remarkably good job. Would you like to just perhaps comment briefly on uh, on the shorter term? Uh, I guess you're still very bullish on 
uh, on gold and commodities, obviously. Uh, not so much on, on the dollar and, and the T-bond. The T-bond's showing some strength over the last couple of days. Take a minute or so to maybe summarize uh, those major markets. Where you, what do well, you think? Well, a gold market, I think, unless it closes out a week at 12.45 or lower. Uh, we specified uh-huh. this several weeks ago. And it's low recently. has been just above 12.60. Right now we're 12.80. Unless it closes out a week at 12.45 or lower, that would put us neutral. Mm-hmm. For the first time since being bullish in February of 2016 at a price of 11.40, okay, that would put us in neutral, not bearish. Um, we frankly, it's almost impossible given our methodology to get bearish on gold here. Uh, the mm-hmm. structures aren't there on momentum that argue downside uh, on the long term. That is, and therefore uh, we will go to sidelines, so to speak, if if you want to, at 12.45, uh, not uh-huh. bearish. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's holding well, and I suspect it's it's holding well with intention. Um, again, if you try to trade markets short term, and you're really good, let's say you're really good at it, and let's say mm-hmm. seven out of ten of your trades win, you feel pretty good. Yeah. But there's going to be a problem because just like at the top in 2012, 11, 12 in gold, when it finally unleashed, if you were trading it. With even if you were bearish, maybe, and you traded the short side, you'd get in, you'd get out, you'd get short, you'd cover, you'd get short, you'd cover. It'd be very easy to miss the move that really counted. Yeah. The crash in April to June of 2013. Yeah. Because if you covered, thinking, well, it's sort of oversold, I'm going to cover, take my profits, and it just continued to collapse, you watch it go down, and what your psychology would say, no, I'm not going to chase that, and mm-hmm. they missed the move. Yeah. Uh, the only guy who caught the move and who probably didn't trade, was a guy who said, this is no good, I'm, I'm short. Yeah. Until the long term says to be long. Right. Uh, I'm short until then, I'm going to get rewarded. And he finally got rewarded. I think the same thing probably is going to happen in reverse this time. That we'll come in one of these mornings, and gold will be up 50 to $100, mm-hmm. breaking through some things that excite some people, and maybe with a news story that's uh, conducive to its technical direction. And all of a sudden, the guys who've been trading that market will miss it, and they won't pay up for it, and therefore the whole move they'll miss, and that's just the way it happens. Uh, we see it in yeah. the stock market all the time. Some of the major moves uh, occur rapidly, uh, sometimes yeah. you know, crash-like or explosion-like, uh, and if, you, if you're a short-term trader, you often will miss these. In fact, you're almost doomed to miss them, statistically yeah, exactly. speaking. I mean, if you're in and out all the time, it's, the odds of catching a long-term trend is it's not good. No, so Michael. To just to, real quickly, we are we are yeah. out of time, but I'd like you just okay. to remind our listeners it was 2012 when you you know you, gold was topping earlier than that, but it was 2012. You 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 saved your subscribers most of the downside. I mean, you got them out before most of the downside. What price, more or less, when you when you did your um, you know your sell recommendation 2012 16, was gold 16, selling? 16. What, what what We're was selling it? Selling at sixteen fifty when we get bearish. Yeah, sixteen fifty, and you got them back in higher than that at one point, uh, and it oscillated into the fifteen hundreds. It would oscillate a hundred dollars either side of that for a year, yeah. and finally it just collapsed. Uh, and, then and then you got us back get, in uh, in uh, two thousand sixteen, early two thousand sixteen. At what price, more or less? Eleven. Eleven forty. Eleven forty. So, uh, okay. Yeah, so. Enough said, uh, Michael. We're out of time. Thank you so much for sharing Thank your you, wisdom Jay. with us. Always good okay. to have you with us. Uh, hopefully you'll be with us again next week. Thanks so much. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but uh, don't go away. Robert Carrington is going to be with us to talk about a very promising gold discovery in Nevada for New Range Gold Corp. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Robert Carrington.
Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well-financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX, symbol NRG. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times, The Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Robert Carrington. He is the president and CEO and a director of New Range Gold Corp. Robert has more than 30 years of exploration, production, and executive management experience with various junior mining firms. He is the former CEO and a director of Gold Canyon Resources and the CEO and founder of Columbian Mines Corporation, which is now New Range Gold Corp., and that's the company we want to talk to Robert about today. Uh, welcome, Robert. Thanks for joining me again. Jay, thanks for having us. Always good to have you with us. I should tell our listeners before we get started with our conversation that your stock, New Range, um, trades in Toronto under the symbol NRG. You can buy it down here in the States under the symbol CMBPF, as I have. Uh, there are about 75.2 million shares outstanding after uh, some warrants are uh, accelerated here, giving you, um, well, I saw recently the share price in U.S. money around 25 cents, giving you a market cap for around 19 uh, million dollars. So, Robert, um, as I understand your story, you 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 have a composite of a number of different projects, small mom and pop gold mines in the past, uh, but now those have collectively been brought together in one project you call the Pamlico project. It is located towards the north end of the Walker Lane geological formation in Nevada. Um, it, it's um, can you tell us the significance of being able to pull all of those? properties together. Um, it's a big help to you, I would imagine, but could you explain that to our listeners? Yes. it's uh, For modern mining, it's absolutely critical that you have a, a large enough land package uh, so that you can, if, if you are fortunate and discover a, a large deposit, you have the, uh, the room to uh, develop a modern mine, be it open pit or underground. Modern mining takes a, a lot of room. You have 
waste dumps, your process facilities, the, the mine development, all of that. And then on top of it, the uh, uh, your larger mines enjoy a tremendous economy of scale. So that uh, as your uh, mine size increases, oftentimes your costs go down to a, a certain extent. And the, uh, the availability of all that land gives us that kind of room, but very importantly, it also covers a number of other very large target zones. The, uh, the Pamlico Ridge Zone that we are currently exploring within is, a, uh, is actually the second largest exploration target on the Pamlico project, the largest being what we, we refer to as the East Zone, which is a, a belt of carbonate sediments that's appro- approximately six kilometers long on the uh, all on the property. Mm-hmm. Could you give us a sense uh, of the overall size of your target then? Um, I... the, the Pamlico Ridge, as I indicated, is one of several major uh, targets on the property. Pamlico Ridge is approximately 2.7 kilometers long and is up to 1,000 meters wide. Mm. It's, uh, it's a very large target. The area that we have been exploring is approximately 100 by 100 meters. And so we've, we've been doing a lot of very detailed work in that. And as we uh, uh, are developing a very good predictive model to help us understand the geology on the on that and the rest of the property, we will be stepping out along the uh, the trend of the Pamlico Ridge Zone and into some of these other uh, uh, very high grade targets that exist on the property. Uh, so you do indeed have had some. Well, you've really reported some really high grade, some really high grade numbers. I mean, I'm looking at uh, grab samples of uh, a meter and a half, uh, grading 104.75 grams per ton. In uh, some drill intercepts, very impressive. 4.6 meters, 43.8 grams. 6.1 meters, 97.94 grams. And then more recently, 16.87 grams over 4.6 meters. And you've also talked a little bit about um, dissemination between these high-grade zones. Could you talk about the significance of that, Robert, and why that's really important? Yeah, the high-grade zones are... Very important because they are, in fact, related to the Walker Lane. The, all of our, our high-grade zones that we've discovered in, in the drilling at Pamlico, including the, the J, K, N, and uh, O zones, are uh, uh, northwest trending, structurally controlled, very high-grade mineralization with those stellar grades that you were just mentioning. And they're fairly closely spaced. In between those, we see a, a kind of a spider web of fracture-controlled mineralization that geologically is referred to as a stock work. And all stock work is is geotalk for a zone where you have a rock that's been cracked because of tectonic movement. You have a lot of little tiny fractures all through the rock, and then when a mineralizing event comes in, that mineral seeps out into those uh, cracks and fractures and gives you a, uh, a potentially more bulk mineable deposit. Um, we're very fortunate at Pamlico because we have these very high-grade structures surrounded by, uh, if you will, a halo of this uh, stockwork mineralization that also gives us the potential for a more of a bulk mining scenario going down the road. Okay, possibly um, open pit mining then, which could be 
uh, a lot more efficient or cost-effective mining. Uh, have, how much work have you done on your metallurgy so far? Because metallurgical you know, projects either make or break a lot of times on the basis of metallurgy. What can you tell us about what you know at this point in time about, about metallurgy? Well, we have not done any formal metallurgical studies, but what we do know about the, uh, uh, the system and its impact on our uh, future metallurgy, the entire mineralized system at Pamlico is deeply oxidized, so there's no, no sulfides that are encapsulating it. And that, that's very important. We're unlikely to have uh, gold that we can't get because it's tied up in, inside of the sulfides. The other other aspect, it's volcanic-hosted, so there's no uh, carbon in mm-hmm. a volcanic-hosted system, yeah. unlike the uh, some of the Carlin-type uh, systems where you get naturally occurring activated carbon that can actually rob gold from the uh, uh, cyanide solution. And then uh, the third and very important aspect, the gold is very fine at uh, Pamlico. It's almost microscopic. Even in that uh, one drill intercept that we had that had over 340 grams a ton, mm. we uh, could see no visible gold. And an, under a binoc microscope uh, in pancons, it's still very, very fine-grained uh, gold. You almost cannot see the gold. Uh, so that. that, that that's very important because the the finer the gold, the easier it is to recover in a uh, a heap leach environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a coarse grain of gold, more than twenty two uh, microns, because of the chemistry of leaching in a, a static environment like a heap leach, various minerals and impurities that are in the gold build up on the the grain of gold, and uh, if the gold grain is too big, it forms a shell around the gold so mm-hmm. that Ultimately, it just the uh, leach solutions can no longer uh, access the gold, and so whatever gold is left just gets lost in the uh, in the heap. Mm-hmm. And then the the other thing that really is a major thing we're going to be looking at is the shape of the gold grains. Mm-hmm. The morphology of your gold grain is very important. You can have relatively large grains of gold if they have a, a very ornate uh, uh, grain shape with lots of surface area and uh, appendages that stick out, that may be, even though you have a, a large grain of gold, it may be very amenable to heap leaching. If you have very compact, small grains of gold that are shaped more like BBs, you have minimal surface area, and that uh, uh, that same size grain of gold may not be amenable to, uh, to heap leaching because of the small surface area and then also as I indicated, the uh, uh, impurities in the gold tend to build up and form almost like an eggshell. Mm-hmm. And once that's formed in a heap leach, you have no way to break that up. Now, in a, a conventional mill, because you're agitating and uh, moving that grain around, you're constantly scrubbing that material off, so it's less of a problem in a mill. Well, thanks. That's uh, that's quite an education there on metallurgy, Robert. I don't think that we've had a guest that has explained it that clearly in the past. So, uh, that's something we'll certainly be watching, and the, and the importance of uh, of these metallurgical studies, of course, very key to the project's success. 
you know, smaller mining projects just don't cut it a lot of times these days. You get, if you've got a mine that produces 30, 40, 50,000 ounces a year, about all you can do a lot of times, given all the costs that are involved in producing gold, is pay for your overhead. And so what I'm interested in knowing is, does this, do you feel that your project has size potential? That is, do you think that you, based on what you know at this point in time about the about the size of your target and all, whether you think with success uh, investors might have some hope of uh, of a multi million ounce discovery here? I I think there's a very good uh, opportunity for a multi million ounce discovery, especially if we're we're looking at the the stock work uh, more disseminated. Uh, mineralization, because the, uh, uh, the the potential for that adds up very quickly. Um, the the high grade high grade is um, a very interesting beast. Uh, ironically, well, not ironically, your re- uh, listeners will clearly understand that the higher the gold grade, the more profitable it is. So, if you have a, a, a one million ounce deposit that uh, has an average grade of, say, uh, an ounce a ton, and your competitor has a, a, million ounce, <clears throat> a million ounce deposit that has one gram a ton, <laughs> you can produce gold for a fraction of the cost that he's going to produce gold. And so the uh, systems with the, the high-grade component, like we see at Pamlico, have the opportunity to uh, scale up uh, to meet whatever the, the metal prices are and um, uh, actually produce at very, very low all-in sustaining cost. During during 2000, when gold was uh, in the uh, 200, 250 ounce range, the lowest cost producing mines the world over were all high-grade underground mines. The uh, Midas mine near Battle Mountain was one. El Pinol down in uh, Chile was another. Um, these are extremely high-grade underground mines. Uh, Midas, I know, at that time was producing gold for about $90 an ounce. So even at $200 an ounce, they were in the money. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, you you feel you have the potential. We'll, we'll have to watch and see because you, you're really early days. You don't expect to have a resource perhaps uh, by the end of 2018, uh, Robert? That's certainly the goal. If we can, uh, if we can get enough drilling into Pamlico with success, good successful results like we've been having, um, I think we'll be ready to at least initiate a 43-101 resource by the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, geology and market forces are, are fickle, so we'll, we'll see how, how far we go. All right. Well, it's certainly going to be fun to watch. Uh, a very low-cap stock at this point in time, as I say, only about $19 million in U.S. money. So if there is uh, the, kind of, the kind of goal that we're looking for here, uh, it's hard to see how this remains a $19 million company. I think um, this is certainly one that I've added to my newsletter. It's it's a favorite of mine. Uh, anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? As far as uh, money in the till, are you okay with that? Yeah, we're uh, we're in good shape. We have approximately a half million cash in the till, and we have warrants that are uh, being uh, converted. That'll bring another one point one million in. Plus, we have about eight hundred thousand coming in from the sale of a uh, property in Columbia. So we're we have adequate uh, uh, funds to uh, see our program forward. Depending on market conditions, we uh, we may raise more uh, more money uh, next year. 
Um, one one thing that will be a, a very driving force uh, going forward, we're obviously going to be expanding out of the area we have been uh, focused on, and we're dominantly going to be expanding toward an area that has never been drilled on the property, mm. but where, where there are historical samples that run over 620 grams in outcrop. <laughs> so that, that's going to be a, a real interesting uh, uh, program when we uh, we finally get the uh, uh, geology and geochemistry all all put together, so we can actually uh, identify good drill targets. There. Well, that's going to be really exciting to watch, and also if you start hitting some good stuff there, it will also help to people to start to see the size and scope of this a little more. Uh, one little piece of the jigsaw puzzle at a time. It's really fascinating to watch. Thank you so much for being with us today, Robert, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Excellent. Thank you very much, Jake. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. Um, We're going to be right back after the commercial break with Alistair McLeod. He'll be talking about cryptocurrencies. They're not really any threat to gold. In fact, they may actually trigger the next gold bull market. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corp. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator Gold Deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under BONXF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, a favorite of the show, Alistair McLeod. Alistair has a background as a stockbroker, banker, economist. He is a senior fellow at Gold Money Foundation, and his weekly articles written for Gold Money are posted on his blog uh, and at that site at Gold Money as well. You can even see them there. Uh, you can easily access uh, Alistair's work through J. Taylor Media, Gold Money. There's a, a very convenient link right at the top of our website at jtaylormedia.com. Thank you for joining me again, Alistair. It's always good to have you with us. That's my pleasure, Jay. It's uh, really good to have you, and, and thanks for staying up so late. I know it's near your bedtime over there in England, uh, so it's very kind of you to make yourself available at such an inopportune hour of the day. But I, I want to focus today on, on your recent article that appeared in, um, at Gold Money titled, Cryptos May Destabilize Fiat. And you stated, um, you started out that, that article uh, written on November 9th um, by stating, and I quote, the assumption in some quarters is that cryptocurrencies will replace gold as money or at least challenge it. This is an error born out of a misunderstanding of the theory of exchange. So I'd like to ask you, can you explain the theory of exchange and how that contrasts with the line of thinking of those who think cryptocurrencies will overtake gold as money? Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, the theory of exchange basically deals with uh, the relationship between goods and services and money. Um, obviously, people produce goods and services. They sell them to uh, consumers uh, in return for money. And money is the temporary storage, if you like, uh, of, uh, of goods, in effect, because if you sell something for money, then basically what you're doing is you are taking something in exchange, which can be exchanged for something else. That is how the division of labor works. So the theory of exchange is all really about how that works, and particularly the validity of the money that is accepted between exchanging parties. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the important point about that, that is that over a very long history, uh, since Barter effectively sort of receded into the background and then uh, more or less stopped, uh, people have, um, uh, between themselves, determined uh, the form of money which satisfies them most. Mm -hmm. And the one that is endured through the centuries and through the millennia, in fact, is actually gold um, and silver as well. Uh, but nowadays, particularly, we think in terms of gold. So gold is real money in a way in which even fiat currencies are not real money. Fiat currencies took their validity by referring to gold or silver. A pound, you know, the, the sterling pound, the British pound, was originally a pound of silver. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, dollars, dollars, whatever, they were all a measure of um, uh, 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 physical uh, metal, if you like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. either gold or silver. And um, about the only modern currency which doesn't have this basis in it is the euro. The euro is actually just sort of one step removed because the euro was comprised of national currencies mm -hmm. which were put together into one common currency so that you exchange your Deutschmarks, your French francs, your Italian lira and your Spanish pesetas for euros. Um, but with the exception of the euro, all currencies refer back to gold or silver. Now, 
it is from that that they get their validity. Um, but that validity is obviously very, very questionable. We now have cryptocurrencies, which have been invented as an alternative, in effect, to um, the, the um, infinitely expandable fiat currencies. And uh, the cryptocurrencies, if you like, were sort of seen as a substitute for government currencies. Uh, and um, there is some sense in that, insofar as cryptocurrencies are not money. Um, but if you're going to try and pretend it's money, then you really try and replace the weakest kid on the block, and that's, that is the fiat currency. Mm -hmm. But we've now morphed into a stage where um, cryptocurrencies are really not money. They're just purely a medium for speculation. I'm not, I wouldn't say that two consenting um, uh, adults trading with one another might not uh, accept Bitcoin or Ethereum in exchange for something else. But in, in general terms, these are not circulating as money. What they are is essentially a medium for speculation and a very effective me medium of speculation. And I liken them to, uh, if you like, the tulip um, bubble, but without mm -hmm. the tulip bulbs. Uh, it is even <laughs> purer than that, if you, if yeah. you like. Yeah. So um, if you accept that premise, then really to, to try and understand uh, cryptocurrencies and how this is likely to evolve, you've got to understand the psychology that drives bubbles, the psychology that drives bull markets. And uh, there was a book written um, a long time ago, I think it was in the 19th century, by someone called Charles Mackay, who examined bubbles of the past, the madness of crowds, the complete irrational behavior that people uh, enter into uh, when uh, they just see profit. And uh, that, if you like, is the bubble mentality. That's what we have. Now, a bubble goes through basically three phases. It's the same with a bull market, which a bull market is basically, um, uh, if you like, it's, 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 um, it's, it, it, it's exactly the same genre as a bubble. A bubble is just more extreme. It's rather mm -hmm. like um, socialism to communism, uh, <laughs> if, if you like. Um, you know, so uh, if, if, you look at, if you look at the structure of a bull market and a bubble, then it starts off usually with a few insiders understanding what's going on, promoting this new idea, if it's a new technology or something like that. Um, and in this case, you've got the geeks, if you like. But yeah. what they have is something actually which is a lot more powerful than, uh, um, you know, than most other things because you've got uh, a combination of um, technology and finance. And putting those two together actually makes it potentially quite a lot more powerful. So if you look at Bitcoin, it's gone from zero to um, $8,100 tonight, something of that order. Yeah. Now, that to me is very much first stage it may go no further this we don't know but um, the next stage if it happens is when the institutions start to get involved now in this context it's very important that COMEX has announced that it will be introducing a Bitcoin future uh, by the end of this year and it will work on a reference price rather than being deliverable in, in, in bitcoins. Mm -hmm. This is uh, very interesting because suddenly the hedge funds and maybe the more adventurous family offices uh, now will, will now have um, 
a regulated investment which they can uh, play in. And uh, undoubtedly, if this future is successful, there will be other futures exchanges introducing similar instruments. And not just in, in Bitcoin, but over um, the coming year or so, they will probably do it for Ethereum and various other uh, uh, credible cryptocurrencies as well. So you, you can see how this becomes mainstream. And now we've got, um, I don't know how much money there is potentially overhanging this market from uh, the institutions, but you've got the potential of unlocking a trillion or two at least mm -hmm. from the institutions into wow. a market where there is no supply. And this is the key key thing. The supply is, um, is, is only in terms of uh, new currencies, new cryptocurrencies being yeah. issued and yeah. being credible. I mean, we've already got something like a thousand of these things, wow. um, but really very few of them are credible. You know? um, and uh, so the bubble marches on, if you like, through the second phase. The third phase, which is the one that always captures the attention in history, is when the public start, start uh, to get involved. The public know only one thing. These things are going up. It's a surefire way to make money. This is, if you like, like 1929 in the stock market. It's like the South Sea bubble. It's like the Mississippi bubble. It's like the tulip bubble. This is the phase, if you like, that goes down in the history books. So that is two stages ahead of where we are. We're at the end of phase one, by my estimation. We got phase mm -hmm. two, we got phase three. Now, various things can happen to interrupt this. Governments might decide that this is something they don't want to see and ban it. Um, you already see that uh, countries which uh, have exchange controls and try and contain capital flows are very, very suspicious of this, and they see it as uh, upsetting the way in which they uh, manage um, their currencies. So China and various other countries, I should think, uh, will continue to try and clamp down on dealings in cryptocurrencies. I think that um, the, the, the main um, uh, uh, mainstream countries like the United States, Canada, uh, Europe, UK, um, and you know any, any, any sort of fairly developed uh, financial economy probably just doesn't know how to deal with this. I'm, I'm looking mm -hmm. at it from the government point of view. They mm -hmm. see blockchain, which is innovative and very, very clever and very, very useful. Um, it's a self-auditing process, which means that property rights can be established and traced. This is useful mm -hmm. to governments. They can adapt it and rarely use it. And we're seeing a lot of research being done, um, partly through central banks, but also markets and so on and so forth, for different applications for blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the individual cryptocurrencies, um, I kid you not, the central banks just do not know what to do. They'll sit there and they will look at it. Now, I think it is quite possible that down the road, governments will take the view, well, we don't know, but uh, people seem to be making money on this. It makes it very hard for us to stop it because you're just going to have an awful lot of discontented voters. So perhaps we can tax it. And of course, yep. where you've got capital gains tax, this is income to governments, which is very, very needed. So you can see how this thing is likely to become not only mainstream, but accepted by governments. Now, here's the rub. If you compare this with uh, bubbles in the past, like the South Sea bubble, there's probably 10,000, 20,000 people involved in the South Sea bubble. That was all. Um, here we have, you know, care you know, courtesy of 
bank accounts around the world, um, uh, internet technology, mobile phones, the, 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 the potential market for this is so much greater than we've seen for any bubble in history so far. So this, this is a very, very interesting um, point. Where does this stop? You know, it's, you can see how this is going to develop, uh, but you cannot really see how it's going to stop. And I think this is where this comparison with gold and fiat currencies really comes in. There will come a point where this bubble destabilizes fiat currencies. Of that, I have no doubt whatsoever. At that point, the central banks will wake up. They will be forced to raise interest rates. That is if the credit cycle, the existing credit cycle, um, uh, hasn't done it already. They will be forced to raise interest rates to the point where the bubble bursts. And when bubbles burst, they don't do it gently. They do it very, very violently. So we've got that some way ahead of us. So this to me, I, I can just see, um, you know, my great grandson maybe, um, if he's interested in economics in some stage in the future, he's yet to, yet to be born, by the way, um, he will uh, study this uh, phenomenon and think this is really the most extraordinary bubble in history. It is a case which is worthy of the study. It is a case which um, I'm going to write PhD uh, uh, dissertation on. I can mm -hmm. see this being so fascinating. It's going to take over in terms of purity where Charles Mackay left off with his madness of crowds. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. I, is, it certainly is possible, but I know that you wrote in a prior article, you said uh, uh, cryptocurrencies are the purest form of financial bubble in the history of speculation and will be of great theoretical interest to future generations, which is just what you're saying. And a phenomenon like the Mississippi South Sea and the tulip bubbles and so forth and so on. Um, what? But help me understand, Alistair, how... Uh, the dynamics of what causes this destabilization. You and I have talked about the credit cycle and how the banks, the financial system is now needing to raise rates. I would argue perhaps that rates are going to rise whether or not the Federal Reserve and other central banks want them to, whether the Fed is responsible or not. I guess they can clamp down on the money supply, control the supply of money in that, in that way. Uh, have a hand in forcing rates higher, but help me understand exactly. I mean, well, first of all, I guess if we're in the first phase of this development here, and Bitcoin, for example, is at eight thousand plus dollars, uh, and and it's just a very small percentage of people that have gotten into it. And by the way, I saw a statistic yesterday. I think it was that only thirty-nine percent of Bitcoin owners believe that it is a bubble at this stage. Uh, <laughs> it it seems like we could see numbers that are you know, much, much higher than 8000 bucks. So it might be a pretty safe speculation for a while to put a few of your dollars into, if, you want, if you're so inclined. Well, yes. I mean, I, I, um, I don't give investment advice. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just looking at this uh, yes. with fascination, if you like, um, yeah. as an economist. Uh, and uh, I mean, the point about economics is that it's a study of human behavior. And it's yeah. the human behavior aspect of it, which I find so fascinating and i would rather restrict what i'm talking about to that because i yes, i'm okay. not an expert in i'm not an expert in cryptocurrencies yeah. what i can see however are these characteristics which are common with the bubbles through history it is an essentially human behavior getting back to your point um mm -hmm. uh, yes uh, you and i have discussed how uh, rising interest rates 
are likely to destabilize the credit cycle. Um, it always happens. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, people think there's a business cycle. It's not. It's a credit cycle. And mm. central banks, for some reason, don't actually seem to understand that the credit cycle is something that they engineer. And as mm. soon as they engineer it, they've got the seeds of their own destruction if in, 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 in a crisis which is bound to follow. Let's put that to one side for a moment and just look at the, this, this cryptocurrency bubble on its own. Mm. Now, in my article, I um, suggested that because this is a global phenomenon, uh, you could easily have, say, 5% uh, of the world population punting in these things. Now, that's 350 million people. 350 million people punting in cryptocurrencies <laughs> and making uh, wonderful money. Um, what are they going to do with it? They're going to spend it. So actually what's going to happen is that on the back of cryptocurrencies, any inflation which is in price inflation, which in, is in the system, is going to be very, very sharply exaggerated. And that will force the central banks to raise interest rates. If they don't raise interest rates, the market will force the rates up. Mm -hmm. And that will be the thing that finally does for the cryptocurrency bubble. Yeah, so we'll get a, an inflationary, even a hyperinflationary event that will force people to hold on to their to what they lend, and and rates will go up. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, hyper, sorry, hyper, hyperinflation will occur if the central banks don't take action, exactly, or if they if if they if they stop the markets pushing interest rates up. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, it's uh, it, it'll eventually destroy the, the, the fiat currencies, in my view, um, simply because, uh, you know, we've got all this debt at the moment. We have got yes. so much um, uh, uh, in the form of deposits, even from the last crisis, yes. uh, that, you know, the amount of money which is actually in, in, in the banks of at the moment is just enormous. Imagine yes. another wave of money uh, on top of that. It's going to destroy the, the fiat currencies, it, uh, I, I think, without a doubt. Right. And you, you explained the dynamics before about how, you know, when interest rates start to rise, the, the banks start losing money on their treasury holdings and they have, to, they have to get rid of them. They have to sell those treasuries and start making loans and putting it into the real economy. So you have all this high-powered money and, and here comes Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies. Really very interesting. Uh, Alistair, with just three minutes left here, maybe two minutes only, uh, talk a little bit about gold money because you're on the board of directors, I believe, of gold money. They have decided now to venture into uh, to cryptocurrencies to a degree, I guess maybe just Bitcoin at this point in time. It is possible to buy Bitcoin and have it in your gold holdings account uh, at, uh, at gold money. Talk to us a little bit about that. And, and gold money may be uniquely... Uh, able to provide uh, to reduce some of the risks, some of the unknowns. At least that's the way I see it. W what are your thoughts about gold money's venturing into it? It seems to me like it's a good idea from a business point of view, because you're bringing in, you know, the possibility under one roof to exchange cryptocurrencies into real money. Well, first, firstly, I'm not on the board of, um, of oh, gold money. Oh, excuse me, I thought you were. Uh, but, okay. but I'm 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 head of uh, of uh, research. Um, okay. So, so Sorry about uh, that. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, the, the question 
your, your, your question is actually a very interesting one because the one thing that gold money does is it reacts to where it perceives um, uh, its customers are likely to be satisfied. And we're finding that a lot of people are very interested in cryptocurrencies. So this is an area which we should uh, engage in. And uh, we already take um, a fairly wide range of cryptocurrencies um, in uh, to, to swap for metals, for example. So, you know, if you want to buy some gold or silver, um, then we will take your cryptocurrency. I have to say that at this stage in the market, um, I, don't, I don't know, but I don't expect very many people are doing this. They're pro probably seeing wonderful profits on their cryptocurrencies yeah. and tending uh, to stay with that. Yeah. But um, what we have done is, is uh, we have started um, offering a facility where our customers can uh, buy and sell uh, Bitcoin. And um, uh, that, if, if you like, from our point of view, is, um, you know, is a nice little earner. But from our customer's point of view, it uh, rounds out our offering, as it were, because, uh, the, you know, they can, they can, through us, hold a range of currencies. They can spend in a range of currencies with uh, uh, preloaded pre debit cards. Um, they can hold gold, silver, platinum, palladium, uh, and now they can also hold uh, uh, Bitcoin. And uh, Ethereum will be introduced uh, fairly shortly. I think that the key point about it is that until now, if you had another agent holding your Bitcoin or your Ethereum, you had the problem that you, you, you couldn't be absolutely certain that whoever was um, holding your wallet wouldn't be raided by the authorities on suspicion of money laundering or incomplete know your customer uh, sure. uh, uh, documentation all the rest of it now we fully comply with that and i think this is an important point because yeah. um you know anyone dealing with us knows that uh, we are properly regulated we um uh, abide by the regulations and therefore that risk risk is, is, is minimized. And I think that's, right. um, that's very important. I think that's very important, Alistair. I, that's one of the attractions for sure. We are out of time. Thank you so much for being with us again. Always a pleasure. Uh, I hope we can do it again sometime real soon. Well, folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Chris Martinson will be with us to talk about how major tectonic shifts now starting to appear in global politics, specifically Saudi Arabia, the importance of those, and you'll really want to listen to this show. I think it's very important to realize that the, the dollar could be under some strain, and uh, certainly that's something that Alistair could have talked to us about, too. But uh, we'll, we'll hear from Chris next week, and also Peter Talman of Klondike Gold will be with us, as well as Michael Oliver. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.